it's up to you. Um, most of you, I think, in the room know Lydia, but I just thought it would be good to introduce her. Um, I don't know whether she's going to say anything about herself, but Lydia's been around for a while. Before you were married, yep. you and Matt came to this church. So um, we love Lydia. She's one of our small group leaders. She leads youth, generally all around good egg. So if you don't know her, I'd encourage you to get to know her. Um, I'm going to pray for her. Why don't you, if you want to join in, stick out your hand. It's not because you're magic or we've suddenly arrived in Hogwarts. It's just that uh, it's your way of getting behind Lydia and praying and inviting the Holy Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, we invite you to fill Lydia afresh. We thank you that you're here already. And Lord, I ask that you would anoint her lips with coal, that the words that she says this morning would be your words directly to us. And as she kicks off this new series, Father, would you just stir our hearts? Our heart is to be more like you. We ask that you would do something afresh this morning through her. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Um, so today I have the great privilege of kicking off our new series on the Lord's Prayer. Um, and I'm so excited to be speaking today on the first part. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So I'm just going to start with a prayer. Um, Father of all, would you come? Would you increase your presence here today and would you open up our eyes and keep us attentive and listening to what you have to say to us? Use my imperfect words for your glory. Amen. So let's all turn into our Bibles to Matthew 6, uh, verses 5 to 14, where we can find the Lord's Prayer. And here is Jesus giving us a lesson in how we should pray. So we should probably listen because he kind of knows um, about this topic. Verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling on like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Now, the Lord's Prayer is one that, growing up in a Church of England church, I would say in the liturgy without fail every week. And it's so funny because there was this thing, and maybe it was just amongst my friends, but it was definitely a thing, that uh, there was some kind of unspoken kudos if you could say the whole prayer without looking down at your service sheet. <laughs> and you're kind of like, oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you'd catch eyes with people just so that they knew that you knew. That I think it was amongst my friends. But it was definitely a thing. Um, and what was ironic is that even though I knew this prayer inside out, upside down, could say it without looking at the service sheet, I had no idea of the gravity um, and depth to the words I was saying. 
every letter of this prayer is so gloriously structured, so perfectly written and God-breathed. And all scripture is God-breathed, but this prayer just encapsulates everything. So my prayer is that God blows our minds in this series and changes our hearts in such a way that our prayer life just grows and grows. So before I can even get to the Our Father in Heaven part, I have to address the first part that comes before it. So it's Jesus telling us how not to pray, not like the Pharisees or um, the pagans. Instead, it says, pray to your Father. The word Father in this part is said many times here, and it's no coincidence. Starting from verse 6, it says, when you pray to your room, close the door and pray, sorry, when you go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father, because your Father... Uh, sorry, here we go, Uh, who is unseen, then your father who has seen what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling on and then do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Then the start of the prayer begins with our father. Now we may hear the word father and just for familiarity, it may just wash over us. But Jesus telling them to pray to God as their father was and still is staggering. It's not saying pray to your God or Lord, not that those terms are wrong at all, but here it specifically says pray to your Father. And what he's saying here is that if you want to grow in prayer, don't focus on prayer, focus on intimacy with the Father. Here is the image, not of a Pharisee babbling or a pagan begging, but instead a child talking to their Father. Now, if you've had or know of any children, any young children, you will know they don't have much of a filter. Um, Matt's away this weekend, and I wanted to practice my sermon this morning. Caleb said, oh, I'll listen. I thought, "Mm." two minutes in, he was like, Mum, this is a bit boring. Can I go and play? I was like, oh, thanks. They don't have much of a filter. Uh, They don't, Caleb and Jonah, don't pause before they ask me and Matt a question or tell us their emotions. They don't think about whether they should or shouldn't tell us something. We get it all. And this is what it should look like. Intimate connection, constant connection, they never stop talking for one, Um, coming to the Father and knowing his acceptance and his love for us regardless of what we're bringing. And for some of you here, um, the name Father, it might not be a positive one. And you may actually really struggle with the concept of coming to God in prayer as your Father. However, when we study the character of God and what his fatherhood looks like, we see the model of a perfect father, which starkly contrasts to any negative experience of an earthly father. God, in his perfect goodness, has adopted us as his children and is our heavenly father, and it's to him we can come to in prayer. In Romans 8, verse 14, it says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with, the spirit, with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we also may share in his glory. So these verses are telling us that as Christians, we are not just justified sinners. It's not just that Christ died for our sins and we are off the hook and forgiven, as unbelievably incredible as that is. It goes further to say you have been adopted, 
heirs, sons and daughters. This is our God. It's about a father who loves us regardless of what we do. We don't just want to focus on the justification part without fully embracing the adoption part. Because if we do, we miss out. J.I. Packer wrote, Adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers, higher even than justification. To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. In fact, the purpose of justification is adoption. God saves you so that you can become his child. So my question to you at the beginning of this series is are you enjoying intimacy with God as your father? And the reason I ask and the reason that I've gone on about the our father part is because the word father, I believe, is the engine of this prayer. Tom Shaw said, when the engine of the gospel encapsulated in the word father grips you, the rest of this prayer becomes your greatest desire. When it grips you that you've been chosen by the Father, the rest of this prayer floods out of you. So let's really think at the start of this series. Do we come to God as our Father? When we pray, do we understand our position as adopted, chosen, cherished and loved sons and daughters of the Father of all? Now I'm going to spend the rest of the prayer um, talking about hallowed be your name. Now, firstly, what does it actually mean, hallowed be thy name? It's quite old language, isn't it? Well, the word hallowed in Greek means sanctified. So when we say hallowed be your name, we are saying God cause your name to be sanctified. So what does sanctify your name mean? Well, it means to revere God's name as holy. Treasure him as holy. Cherish him as holy. And it was so great that we sang that song. That wasn't planned. And it does sound a bit like that, doesn't it? Oh, sorry, sorry, I've I've skipped. Um, Here we go. The holiness of God is set apart. It's in a class all by itself. There's nothing like it. When a diamond is in a class all by itself, it's super valuable, and God's name much more so. Now, it's important we realise that when we say, hallowed be your name, we're not praying for God's name to be made more holy. It does sound a bit like that, doesn't it? Like, holy be your name. As if we're asking God's name to be made more holy. That's impossible. Now, hallowed be your name is not actually a prayer for a change in God at all, but a change in us. He is holy, holy, holy. He is infinite, perfect and complete. God cannot be made more holy than he already is. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, there should be a change in us. It demands a heart response in us. For when we know God as our Father and love him, then our heart should yearn for his name to be hallowed here on earth, for his name to be cherished here on earth, loved here on earth, worshipped and adored here on earth. And when we say, hallowed be your name, we are asking God to raise up here on earth people who know him, love him, cherish him more than life itself. So in a world that has no time for God's name, does it? It has no time for God's name, that even uses his name and swears with it. In a world that blames his name for all sorts, his name would instead be honoured and adored. Now the Lord's Prayer is a series of six petitions, requests. 
Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our sins, lead us not into temptation. And many thinkers cleverer than me have split these into two sets of three. The first three is one set and the second three is a second set which served, to, which served the first set. But John Piper, um, I love him, he's a, a theologian and pastor, um, he argues that this prayer is actually structured not as two sets of three, but as one and five, with hallowed be your name and then the others. He argues that hallowed be your name is different from the other requests because it's the only explicit request which demands a response of the human heart. It's the main point. It's the number one desire because this is what God is asking us. He's asking that the holiness of God is the biggest thing in our hearts, that God's magnificence becomes the main point of our lives, just like it's the main point of the prayer. When God's holiness is the biggest thing in our hearts, we desire the others by default. We desire God's kingdom to come because then his name would be honoured here on earth. We desire his will to be done because when God's will is done, his name is glorified. And the three sets of requests we cry out for because we long to become more like Jesus each day we live and we don't want sin or temptation getting in the way of our lives bringing him glory. Now I'm often struck by the end part of that first set of of three, hallowed be your name, and then it says, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. So hallowed be your name, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, in heaven, in Revelation 4, verse 8, it says, day and night, they never cease to say, holy, 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 Lord Almighty, who was and is to come. It's endless, unceasing worship up there, as God's name is honoured and sanctified. So what about here on earth? Well, it couldn't look more different here on earth. In the words of Isaiah 52, verse 5, it says, Continually, all the day, my name is despised. We don't need to look very far to see that our culture is one that totally dishonours and disregards and overlooks the name of God. And this should rile up a response in us if we believe his name is holy and sanctified. And I remember a preacher from our uni church once drawing this parallel. He said, imagine someone speaking totally falsely and totally awful things and untrue things about someone you love and adore. And you hear they're blackening their name. And you know it's rubbish and untrue. (coughs) What emotion evokes in you? What emotion? Somebody shout out. Anger. Yes. Yeah, that's it. That's right. And there is a thing called righteous anger. And it's that same emotion that we should feel when we hear God's name being used and abused and trampled on when it should be hallowed, adored, cherished and loved among the nations because of the truth of who he is and what he's done for us. And it's this that should lead us to fall on our knees and pray, hallowed be your name, as a heart's cry, not a little conservative, hallowed be your name, but a heart's yearning. May your name be hallowed here in the streets of Chelmsford, here in family homes, here in schools and hospitals, in workplaces, coffee shops, prisons, nightclubs, families, conversations, friendships, every encounter we have with people. May your name be hallowed, known, adored, loved, cherished, honoured, respected and glorified. 
As Pastor Colin Smith writes, we are asking God so to move and act in the world that people around the globe will come to worship and treasure and live for him above all else. Father, please bring people to love and trust and worship and adore you. Make that, make that true of us in your church. Make that true of me. Now, isn't it interesting that the first request in the Lord's Prayer is not that our needs be met. It's not like, oh, give us today our daily bread. The first request is that God's name will be honoured. And that is how we should pray every prayer. Not starting with our request, but first that his name would be glorified. So how do we ensure, ensure that we're doing this? Well, this isn't a prayer, so just a warning. As we enter this series, the Lord's Prayer isn't a prayer for the faint-hearted. Are we ready to hallow his name? Have, we've spoken about when we pray, hallow be your name, it demands a heart response for sure. But it also demands a head response. It demands some kind of reflection of whether our lives are lives that glorify God and point others to glorify him. Because it's not, it's not just about us, is it? As Libby said a few weeks ago, we don't just want courageous transformation for ourselves. We want our lives to be transformed so to point others to God. If we are to pray this prayer seriously, then we should be living it out. So how does it look to hallow his name? Well, John Piper, pastor and theologian, shares four examples in the Bible where God himself talks about his own name being hallowed. Where the Greek word for hallowed, which is, I'm just going <laughs> to breeze over this because I can't say it, hey, yes, no, <laughs> um, is used towards God and not towards us. It means different things when it's used towards God than it does to, when it's used towards us. And he argues that if we look at the context in which these words were used, in which this word, sorry, was used towards God, often by God himself, it should tell us what it looks like to hallow his name. Now note the word in the translations of the Bible verses I'll use, it's, it says holy, but that means uh, that word, that Greek word. Um, and he could only find four examples, and bear with me because they are uh, quite uh, Old Testament passages, but I won't go through the whole passage, you just have to, yeah, bear with me. Um, and from these Old Testament passages, John Piper suggests four ways that we can hallow God's name. By believing his name, by fearing his name, by obeying his name, by glorifying his name. And I'll just spend a couple of minutes on each one. So number one, hallowed by believing his name. So Numbers chapter 20 uh, describes part of the Jewish people wandering around the desert and the people are thirsty and there's no water and God says to Moses, Moses, speak to the rock, speak. But Moses doesn't speak. And in a moment of anger at the people, he takes his rod and hits the rock. He didn't trust, Moses didn't trust or believe God's voice, that God knew what was right. Now God could, Old Testament, he could have struck him dead for disobeying him, for not trusting what God said um, and that God's way was best for Moses. But instead, here's what God said to Moses in response. Because you did not believe in me, to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. 
So in his incredible mercy, God still answered Moses' prayer and provided water, but he did not let him uh, go into the promised land because he did not trust and obey God. Therefore, to hallow God's name means to believe in it, to trust in his name and in what he can do. The interpretation from this word hallow, from this passage, is believed be your name. So when we pray, hallowed be your name, part of what we mean is let your name be trusted. So are we going to believe and trust in the name of God? With our worries, our fears, our needs, our futures, our families, our schoolwork, our grades, our friendships? Will we believe and trust in his name? And will we pray that others also put their trust in him above anything else? And if God tells us to do something, even if it's uncomfortable, scary, awkward, a bit like telling Moses to speak to the rock, or takes courage, will we trust in him and do it? May your name be hallowed, your name be trusted and believed. Now the second one is hallowed by fearing his name. In Isaiah 8, God speaks to Isaiah and warns him not to be like the other people or the people of Israel. And here's what he says. Do not call conspiracy everything these people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. Now, how would you interpret that verse? Well, I would say that to hallow the name of God, or as it says, regard his name as holy, means to contemplate all the things that we are afraid of, and then to contemplate the fear of God. On the one hand are our own worldly fears and concerns, and on the other, God is saying, don't fear that, fear me. And as we look back and forth, we hallow him if we say, God, I fear you. I don't fear failure or job jobs insecurity or money shortages or rejection. Thinking about our fear in the context of an all-powerful, all-loving God will really help us develop our faith. And I reckon make us into much more risk-taking people if we say, I only fear God and nothing else. Imagine that. When discussing with a friend at small group, um, it was actually Anthony, I'll give him, <laughs> give him the credit, um, about fearing God, we both agreed that uh, it can feel a bit contradictory sometimes, can't it, to like a loving father image that we just discussed earlier. But that's utter rubbish. Both are true. This Anthony came up with a great analogy. He said, so it's like you have this huge bodyguard behind you, absolutely massive and hench, and could protect you against anything or anyone. And you can stand there in front of this guy and say, I don't fear anything. I don't fear anyone, because this guy's protecting me, but I do fear him. God is huge. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. He's magnificent and other, and we should have a holy fear of him as we stand in awe of his majesty and his power. And that same magnificent, all-powerful, all-knowing God is love and loves you. Psalm 103 verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Now, I don't know the things that you fear personally, but to sanctify his name, to hallow his name, means to be able to stand in front of our fears, be that a person, a thing, 
fear of rejection, fear of loss of control, fear of addiction or stuff going on at school, or whatever you fear, and say, I fear one person, Jesus Christ, my Lord, whom I will not dishonour, but only hallow in this moment by not fearing you. Does that not excite you to be such a person? Just pause for a minute and think of something you fear. And now say to that fear, I fear one person, Jesus Christ my Lord, whom I will not dishonour, but only hallow in this moment by not fearing you. The third one, hallowed by obeying. Now the third meaning of hallow is from Leviticus 22, verses 31 to 32. It says, keep my commandments and follow slash obey them. I am the Lord. Do not profane, disrespect my holy name. For I must be acknowledged as holy by the Israelites. I am the Lord that made you holy. <coughs> so obey his commandments. Obey be your name is what we mean when we say hallowed be your name. Obeyed be your name. And this name will be hallowed, his name will be hallowed when we seek to obey his commandments. We won't always get it right, but our hearts should want to try. May you be first in our hearts and the hearts of those that we love, God. And may we obey your voice, your teachings in our lives, because you know how best we should live. Lives of radical obedience. Are we ready to hallow his name by obeying him? And the final one, fourth and lastly, Leviticus 10 says, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, made holy. And before all the people, I will be glorified. So glorified here means similar to pretty much the same as hallowed. Now, if this is the case, then the first line in our, in our prayer, um, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, means Father, glorified be your name. Glorify your name. Uh, now, Jesus actually prayed this, didn't he? When his soul was troubled, Jesus faced the prospect of an unspeakable suffering. He would be beaten, mocked, crucified, plumbed to the depths of darkness. And as he thinks about it, his soul is troubled. What will he do? Will he say, Father, save me from this hour? No, for it's for this hour that he came to the world. Instead, he says, Father, glorify your name. Honouring the Father's name was everything to Jesus, even here. And we are called to follow Jesus' example. There may come a time in your life where you face great darkness and unspeakable evil and you wonder, how can God's name possibly be honoured in this? Here is your answer. God's name will be honoured when even here you love and trust him still. How do we glorify his name? When we are people that despite our circumstances, despite how we feel or what kind of week we've had, despite otherworldly circumstances and situations, we choose to love him, trust him and depend on him and not our own understanding. This glorifies and honours God's name. So to recap, God's name will be honoured when we believe his name, hallowed, sorry, <laughs> when we believe his name, when we fear him, when we obey him, when we glorify him. They're not easy things to do, but we don't do this alone. We have a loving Father that we can ask for, for help in these areas. And as we grow in intimacy with the Father, 
and, we, and our love for him grows. Hallowed be your name will become our heart's desire and work will be done in us. It's all about courageous transformation, isn't it? So to finish, and I'll just read this quote. I read this quote and it was just too good not to share. It kind of sums everything up. Pastor Colin Smith writes, There's a reason why hallowed be your name is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. When all the other petitions in the Lord's, of the Lord's Prayer have been answered, this will still be the greatest desire of our hearts to all eternity. In the presence of Jesus, no one will be saying, give us our daily bread, for all will be provided. No one will say, forgive us our sins, because sin will be no more. No one will say, deliver us from evil, because evil will be banished to the lake of fire forever. No one will say, your kingdom come, because God's kingdom will have come in all its fullness. No one will say, your will be done, because God's will, all of our wills, will be at one with his. But the desire and delight of all our hearts will be that God himself will be honoured, worshipped and adored forever and ever. And we're just going to go into a time of ministry now. Um, so yeah, please stand. And if anything um, has resonated with you this morning or has spoken to you or you just want God's help, um, we would love to pray for you.